Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Off Mike, Off the Record. I'm your host, Aaron Bentley. Joining me this week is, I love how I'm going to get to do this because I love it whenever we have name challenges, Mondo Salas. What's up, man? What's up? Well, is it Mando? Well, I I think a lot of people who have uh, been with me, I guess, since the get-go have... Uh, all right. So I used to play a lot of shows and I had this little bit that I would do of this one time I was playing, I don't know, you know, doing the bar gigs. It's just right. Right. Anyways, I had this old lady. She was probably in her sixties and I was introducing myself to some people nearby her. And she goes, you said your name's mango salad, mango salad. And I don't, I don't know if she was really, I guess, joking or trying to go extra, but I always remembered that, and I made a little bit about it that I would do during shows, and it was always, we would always laugh how some lady thought my name was Mango Salad, and obviously, when you, if you go to Google and you type in Mondo Salas, it'll be like you're talking about Mango Salad, so <laughs> there's that. It's gonna correct you. Yeah, but but beside that, yeah, I I think my name since uh, uh, it's not the most common people normally re- go to mando or mandu and salas but it's just mondo salas and they're like why don't you spell it with the o and i'm like because you say it in spanish it's armando mando mando anyways cultural difference cultural difference but it's fine if someone calls me mando or mango i'll be like yeah hey, what's up and I, I won't skip a beat <laughs> okay cool and for me i guess it's not an uncommon name yeah I, i've heard it many times i've had people i've worked with or people i've been friends with over the years that Armando is mm-hmm. that that's just a normal name to me. Um I guess in north central Texas maybe it's not that common of a name. Yeah, um like I was telling you before where I grew up like my dad's name's Armando so I'm junior and then my best friend's name's Armando his dad's name's Armando school or people we went to school with named Armando. When I went to high school in uh, New Braunfels I only went my senior year and it was full of like Bryce Tanner like eight tanners. Oh. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think about uh, like Skylers, you know? Okay. Like, yeah, yeah. 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 How many Armandos? I, I had to be the only one. Okay. I was the only one at least that I knew of. <laughs> there might've been another one. He was a sophomore, but he didn't tell you about that. Right. <laughs> so let's talk about um, growing up. So you did one year at Canyon, but before that mm-hmm. you were in the Del Valley, Rio, Texas the Valley. Yeah. See, I don't consider it the valley. So I guess Del Rio technically isn't the valley. You're west of the valley. I right? call it the armpit. It's, it's okay. the armpit, right where Texas does a little, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? It does a little thing. It's right in the middle because I've been to the valley and. I guess the valley's more Brownsville. Yeah, more Brownsville, McAllen. McAllen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it the, the vibe is different than Del Rio. I think the people in Del Rio don't want to be Mexican and they, they like, a, a, like Spanish was my first language and. Growing up, kids didn't want to speak Spanish. They wanted to speak English. You know, it was okay. it was kind of a the nine of culture. Oh, we don't want to be associated with being Mexican. We want to be better or something. Whereas when I've gone to the valley, like they're, 100%. they're with the culture. So I'm about it. But Del Rio's not that far. Del Rio's not that far, but I... I, I Probably because we don't have that many close neighbors. Um, the closest town is 30 minutes, which in Del Rio time, that's a long ways. In DFW time, that's like going to... Chicken Express. Know. Exactly. 
<laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's it's its own little thing. We have a uh, guisal bean and cheese tacos there. You have you had that? No. So it's, tell me about this. I'm intrigued. So um, it's stew meat. You know the stew meat you can get. So you slow cook that to where it's break apart, and then bean and cheese and a taco. So if you go to another place and you go, I want a guisal bean and cheese taco, they go, I don't understand. You want me to put carne guisada in a taco with bean and cheese? And we're like, yeah, but just, you know, in Del Rio, it's a, it's a common thing. I'm going to look over at my wife and I'm going to tell her we're going to Del Rio. <laughs> hey, Del Rio is awesome as far as I remember my dad telling me growing up, he'd be like, why would you want to leave this town? You could fish, you can hunt, and you could drink beer. <laughs> You just checked like every Texan's like holy grail of or their holy trinity. Okay, but you left out football, but I mean, yeah. Right? Okay, but I mean, there's football there. Um, but the cool thing so there's the San Felipe Springs that runs through Del Rio. There's a Devil's River that is outside of Del Rio that feeds Lake Amistad. Yes. And it's all clear. Yeah, no, no. That that water is pristine down there. Yeah, and I'll go spearfishing in the creek. There's people like recreating and i'm spearfishing tilapia and it's the best <laughs> this is amazing you're making me want to go more and more that you talk about it no it, it really is a lot of fun every time me and uh, chelsea go down there it's like a vacation because we have a place to stay the water's nice we take the dogs it's great and that's beautiful country it is nice country it 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 is such a um I mean, I keep saying this, but it's such a vibe, such a, uh, like, I'm going to tie this into music. So growing up there, that's all I knew was like the cactus and how dry it was and the terrain. And I never appreciated it. And like musically, the first person that I heard that made me appreciate where I was from was Ryan Bingham. As weird as that sounds. It doesn't sound weird because... I was going to segue this in about five minutes, but I'm glad you're talking about it. The first song I heard of yours has a very Ryan Bingham feel to it. Yeah. So I wanted to know, is there influence in there? I mean, obviously you're telling me he's the first one that, that kind of explained or closed that gap from where you grew up and the appreciation of it. So, yeah, for sure. So growing up, the music I listened to most or had to listen to most was Mexican, like Tejano music. So I guess some of that cumbia or what? yeah cumbia you would say uh influence from the german polk how yeah. they say a lot of accordion and like waltzes one two three one two three and uh beside that we just had nashville country didn't know it at the time but i was like this is country and then had hip-hop or whatever right and uh i hated country nashville country i was like it's so hollow whatever and i remember i was on the internet or or i think it's from it might have not even been from the internet from watching the movie crazy heart a hundred percent. And I heard the weary kind. I was like, this is a good song. So I looked it up on the internet because the internet was a thing. And I found South side of heaven and I was like, people make music like this. This is crazy. And so I just started listening to Ryan Bingham from that point. And then from that one introduction, obviously I love, this scene or type of music, but it definitely definitely did influence me. Cause I felt like a lot of the lyrics that he had were West Texas lyrics. <clears throat> what is it? There's always a damn train. The crazy part about that part of the song, it means a lot to me. Cause, uh, uh, my dad, uh, he passed away when I was 19 and, 
the only thing me and him ever really bonded with was music, right? He wasn't a very, uh, I guess, like, hey, man, I love you so much. Like, oh, I care for you. It was a more like the less said more like he's like, it, I don't know how to explain it more. When it was said, it, it had deep meaning. Yeah, and I think he only said it one time my whole life that I remember. But uh, it's like it not being said and more of the hanging out was where the love was shown. And the one thing me and him really bonded over was music. And I, he had this office that was right next to my grandmother's house. And it's literally like a block or two away from the creek there. And the train always went by. And I'd be listening to Southside of Heaven or uh, The Best of Me, you know? And I'd always hear that train in the background. So, like, I always associate that. So, like, those songs, like, on that album are, like, really near to me for that reason. It, like, it's nostalgic and also uh, brings me back to, like, a place, I guess you could say. It's the wonderful, it's the wonderful power mm-hmm. of music that I've always said is the interpretation of a song and what it means to the listener is not always the message that is being conveyed by the artist, Mm -hmm. but it's the memory that you have tied to it. It can be something, you know, ridiculously simple as a train horn, like you said, or that Mm -hmm. that sound of the wheels on the steel rolling down a track. It could be a particular line or description of a place. And I think, I think that's where people do bond over music is you can be from all kinds of cultural, different backgrounds Mm -hmm. and you can find commonality in something similar, just like you said, you know, because of the bond that you had with your father, that was more of an unspoken bond. And so you hear in new music to you discovered, okay, this is different. This isn't traditional top 40, 18 songs spun every hour on yeah. radio. It is underground at that time. I would say, mm-hmm. uh, I will never say Mescalito was an underground album. I think it's probably mm-hmm. one of the best front to back albums ever made hundred percent. But back in like 2009, when I was listening to it two years after it had been posted, it was, I don't think anybody was listening to it. Yeah. He sure did win an Academy award and a couple Grammys. So <laughs> he's the man. He's definitely the man. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, what's really cool. And so for you, the first song I heard from yours and I don't remember, I don't know that I actually heard an album cut of it. I may, I may have been scrolling on some. So it's going to be on the next album. We're going to, do it so the story with devil's river is i started playing guitar trying to play when i was like 15 because a guitar hero i was like guitar hero i could play that game i was like i could play a guitar it's not true but i went at it um so i started learning to sing by not learning to sing just karaoke so to speak when i was 19 around when my dad passed and then um when i was 20 is when I cut Devil's River. I'd never played with the band. I'd never done, I, I had no idea what I was doing. And I wrote the bass line for that song. If you listen to it, it's a funk bass line. I had no idea. Uh, the lyrics were heartfelt and they're still heartfelt today. Um, but we play it a lot different. We don't play it in that style anymore. So I want to at least have something people can listen to when if they go see a show, they're like, oh, this is something that we can look up later, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, so that that's kind of the 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 reason that it never made it on an album. So I'm gonna put it on an album finally, and and um, stylistically and theme, it makes sense for the album that I'm gonna put it on. We'll get into that later. Yeah, because I mean, you released that as a standalone single. Yeah, because I had to. Um, I was with the this. I used to busk in College Station for their first Fridays, and uh, my first 
couple months of busking, this lady came up to me. She goes, Hey, I'm a booking agent. I'll book for you. And for me, I thought, okay, this is it. This is how it works. I was like, this Hollywood now, you know, and, um, go ahead and bring me that Cadillac limo. Exactly. So Gator shoes. she was like, Hey, we, we need to record something to send to venues to book yeah. you. And I was like, okay. So I wrote devil's river and then we recorded it and put it out. But if I'm being honest, <clears throat> if there's any young songwriters listening or music makers, it's take your time. Like don't rush. Why are you going to put something out when you're still developing realistically, you know, but at the same time, it, it's nice little, um, I guess keepsakes. I listen to it and I, I hear my voice different. I hear my style different, you know? So it's nice to have as like memories for my family or whatever. Like, Oh, I wrote this and I made it when I was 20. So like, here's that, you know, <clears throat> how much did recording that cost you? 150 bucks. 150, 150 total. Was this in somebody's garage? No, uh, that booking agent that I'm talking about, she had a little studio where a guy paid her to rent out the backspace to make a studio. He's the nicest guy. Um, his name Jacob. I forget what his name was. It was such a long time ago. He was literally the best. He played the drums on it, and he was the best, and he only charged me 150 bucks. Man, I can't get my oil change for $150. You're over here cutting a track. That was mixed, mastered, and everything? Mixed and mastered and everything. He is a sweetheart, and he was so nice to me for doing it for $150. Bucks. Attention all the listeners out there. If anybody wants to <coughs> mix and master for me for $150, <laughs> sold. It is the price of making music, y'all, is just out the out the window. Like I, I think for the last album for forever, I spent five K making that. And I think totally in streaming, I've gotten back like two hundred. Congratulations, sir. That is a pretty lofty number to get back. Yeah, it's exciting. I could buy a whole um a half PlayStation four, maybe a PlayStation three. Three tanks of gas. Three tanks of gas. You can go to Texas Day Brazil with your bride twice. I haven't been there yet. What? Uh-huh. Come on, dude. So any person who was a fan of eating ridiculously large amounts of hot skewered meats. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be a fan. I just haven't been there yet. Haven't worked out the time. You got to do it. We'll have to. I mean, it's right downtown, too. We're it's like right 10 there. minutes from downtown. I thought it was actually closer than that to you, but it's, um, yes, we're talking about Fort Worth. So funny story. We were in, uh, Denver two years ago, maybe. And, uh, two years ago, we're in Denver two years ago. And so we're flying, we're going for steamboat and we fly into Denver and we're staying at a buddy's apartment, uh, our condo or apartment, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. You talk about location. This guy lives one block from the train station, Grand Central Station there, mm -hmm. three blocks from Rocky Stadium, half a mile from Mile High, and around the corner is where the the Avalanche play. This is where this guy lives. Yeah. And he's got a corner loft kind of apartment location. Greatest thing ever. So we're sitting there and, okay, dude, you live in Denver. We're staying the night before we take the trek up the mountain. And where do you want to go eat at? And he goes, Texas Day for <laughs> You have that here? And he goes, yeah, we're going to go. It's like half a mile, half an yeah. hour away. So we Uber over there and there are um, three guys, my size. And then the guy we're staying with, he's a small, he's a Canadian. So he's a smaller frame guy. He's like, I've never <laughs> been. And then my wife. Yeah. And so we walk into this Texas day, Brazil, 
And I'm looking at the other guys, my size, and I'm like, we're about to burn this bitch to the ground. Yeah. I'm like, I can, I can throw down. And, uh, so we all get down and they see this up front. We've got a big table. He orders some expensive bottle of wine. Um, and then we start challenging it, just going to town. Yeah. So one of the things I'll tell you is the, the trap is the first person who's come up to you is like, would you like some sausage? No. You you go away. How about some chicken bikini? No, no. no. You go away. I want the lamb, the steak, all that. Yeah. Bring me the good stuff. Yeah, they try to get you with the cheap meats. The cheap meats. And so so anyway, they can start coming over, and then they figure out what we're – all right, they, these guys aren't newbies. <laughs> so, you know, they just walk up, yes. Like, I don't even – All of it. Yes. And so they're cutting the big slices off because that's how you do it. Yeah. And you've got, like, a little poker chip. Green means go, red means stop. So we get 10 minutes into the meal and the Canadian is like, I gotta go walk. And I'm like, already you're he already tapped out. He, he like, cause he was just like, pounding. wait, did he do the chicken and the sausage? No, but he would, he just started pounding it uh-huh. down. And so we're all over here tearing it up and we're just still going to town. My wife's like, she's about done. Uh, and he's literally pacing the restaurant because like he's going into meat sweats and he's about to go into food coma. Cause oh. I mean, he just pounded straight 10 solid minutes of just like, you know, feed trough style. Yeah. And so we learned their, their trick, their business trick. So if anybody's listening from Texas to Brazil, I'm about to give away your secret. <laughs> so as they're bringing you food, if one of the waiters or one of the servers comes up and goes, can I refresh your plate? Okay. They take your plate and bring you a clean one. That is an indication to the guys walking around with the meat. Steer clear. Steer clear. So, uh, like, don't, he's going to want more. Don't take it to him. Yeah. What? Straight up. They said, can we refresh your plates? And they refreshed our plates. And it was ghost town from that time. I like, we had to get up and go get the guys. Hey, dude, I want some steak bikini. That's crazy. Because, I mean, at one point they were circling us like they were on a NASCAR track, just going around the table, yeah. cutting and the next guy would come. And I'm thinking... We went over our allotted dollar amount of steak. Mm. And so they were like, chill. These guys are about to burn this bitch down. They have to do something like that, though, just to make sure that because I bet people I mean, people aren't dumb. They're going to figure it out. And I really wonder what their cost is. If you have some full grown men getting down, because <laughs> I can throw down on some steak, dude. Yeah. And they, they've got great, like, they have this massive salad bar that has all these wonderful cheeses and, you know, dried meats and things like that. And mm-hmm. it's, it's brilliant. But when you're experienced like this boy over here is, I'm going, and you're going to bring me lamb chops and lamb shank, and you're going to bring me steak bikini, and you're going to bring me all this other stuff, and that's all I'm going to throw down on. How much is it to eat there? 50. 50 a person? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's, but for how much meat? Oh, dude, I'm throwing down $150 worth of meat. Like that. That's what I'm saying. Like you, you spend fifty dollars on um, four filet mignons that are this big. You know. Yeah. Walk up with walk up with the thirty pound skewer of meat and start slicing it on my plate. I'm gonna hit that fifty dollars really quick. Dang. And it's so good though. Is it's it so good? It's, they don't half ass it. They just no. They they full send. Dang. It's all good. I'm, I I want to go there now. So I'm gonna tell you another trick to do. Do you go to Sam's or Costco? Costco. Okay. So this is going to sound funny, but this is what you do. So go to Costco and go to like the gift card rack Uh 
and you will be able to get two $50 gift cards to Texas Day Brazil for like $94. Really? Or less than that. Maybe it's 80 something dollars. Yeah. Dead serious. So you're getting $100 gift cards for under $100. Nice. Costco has the goods. Costco's got it. I'm going to do that. I'm going to bring it up to Chelsea because we've never been. You can do it. Maybe she's been, but I've never been just because, I don't know. I, I It's like a, it's never been, I guess, on the table. It's never like, oh, take, take this zipper. You got to do it. I'm going to do it after this. Surprise your lady. <laughs> we will. Hook her up. And the baby. And She'll be like, man, that's a lot of meat. <laughs> Baby's going to be in heaven. Right. I'm like, oh, okay. This is the good stuff. This is the goods. But I'm telling you, dude, and it's an experience. So don't plan on it being a short meal. Yeah. It's truly an experience. Yeah. Um, if you go to the Fort Worth location, so we've sat at several different places. For being a guy who likes to eat, do not sit next to the kitchen. Because there's a couple two-person tables right next to the kitchen. Mm-hmm. That's dangerous. Why? Because you're just going to see that food coming straight out of the kitchen, fresh every time. And you are gonna, you're going to overindulge. Ooh. You're going to be miserable. I struggle with that, man. I got to, I got to pace myself. I got to be like, Hey, you got to chew it. And cause I'll just bite, bite, swallow and just let's do it. That's the problem when you're right by the kitchen uh-huh. is you're just going to, I mean, you're like, they're just going to throw a big old slap of something on your plate and you're going to get first bite into it. And here comes the next guy with whatever else he's coming out with fresh right out of the kitchen. You're like, oh. yeah, give me some of that. Yeah. Give me some of that. Yeah. Give me some of that. And before you realize it, I just ate 18 pounds of meat. <laughs> <laughs> you come in weighing 300, leave weighing 320. It's, yeah. Uh, and loose fitting clothing. <laughs> hey, that's every day, though. I don't wear nothing tight anymore. That's, I ain't got nobody to impress. I'm, that's where I am. Um, but yeah, man. Text Day Brazil. Take your lady there and the, and the new baby. We're going to try it. I'm, I'll report back. I'll be like, this is the Please best do. experience of my life. I mean, I hope, and I hope you do have a wonderful time because I have never had a bad meal there. Nice. I've had been miserable after the meal there. <laughs> One time, uh, Chelsea, when she was younger, she didn't uh, unlock the full experience of tacos. So her, my wife's dad is from Mexico, like the So let's preface this. Okay. Real tacos. Real tacos. Yeah, sure. I, I think that's accurate. What most people would consider a street taco, but we're going to say it's a real taco, not Exactly. Not Tex-Mex tacos. 100%. A real taco. So uh, her dad's from the so Mexico City. And then her mom's from Arkansas. So they grew up here in DFW, and then they went down to visit their family in Mexico. And the way the Mexican family gets down when we're hanging out is, all right, it's breakfast time, breakfast food. After breakfast is done, coffee, tea, bread, straight into lunch, eat lunch, snacks, more coffee, maybe some beer, whatever, get straight into dinner, Drink, more food, and then at like nine, more food, snacks, midnight, probably more food. And then like if it's a party, party through the night and then breakfast at 6 a.m. So it's like food, 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 food. Nonstop. It, yeah. It's there the whole time. But anyways, she was young, I think probably like 12, 13, and she ate so many tacos that she went to her dad and she was like, I can't, I can't. Like it hurts. My stomach hurts too bad. And they had to like unbutton her shorts and walk around the block like in pain because she ate so many tacos that she felt so physically uncomfortable. Oh. Anyway, it's just a little funny story. If you know my wife, like it's just funny thinking of her eating too many tacos. I eat too many tacos quite often. Right? Okay, what about Juanitos though? 
Yes and no. Yes and no? Tell me the no. It's I gotta be in the mood. Oh, okay. Okay. Going a step further, the chicharron tacos. Rarely. Rarely? Do you like you not you don't like them? <sighs> I'm pretty basic. Oh. What do you get? Fajitas? Nah. Uh, I, I, I say I'm basic. It, it really depends on what the mood is. I mean, I'm not just a straight carne asada guy. I'm not. Okay. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to get some, I mean, I do some carnitas and you know different things like that, but I'm almost predictable. Really? Like I'm going to go and I'm gonna be like, I'll watch what's coming out ahead of me, especially uh-huh. if we're going to like the taco truck or something. I'm going to look at it. I'm like, Oh damn, that looks really good. Uh-huh. And then I'll, I may just like go. When I first started, it was, I want four different kinds of tacos. And then sometimes I'm just like predictable. I'm like, eh, let's just four carnitas or yeah. whatever. And then I just kind of kick myself. Did you do the lengua? I have before. Did that when we were in Cozumel proper, not at the, not right at the, the pier, but mm-hmm. we went into Cozumel and I've told the story on here. I don't remember who I was talking with. It might've been Shea Abshire, but we went into Cozumel proper and I did for the table, one of everything that they had on the menu mm-hmm. and then even some of the stuff that they didn't have on the menu for tacos. And I was like, I want you to bring the table. There was four of us, one of everything. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Loved it. It's so good. People have like a, Oh, it's, it's a cow tongue. And I'm like, it's so tender. It's insane. For me, I'm, I'm perfectly cool with that. Yeah. My wife, probably because of the texture and the thought mm. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be like full scent. Yes. They don't, there's, you don't get like the taste buds though. They rip that part off. It's uh, yeah. just like the inside. It's the meat. And it, it, some people just, it's the thought of it until they try it. True. True. Me, I'm all about, yeah. Okay. Probably the same goes with oysters too. Some people don't like textures of like booger. It is. It's the slimy kind of texture. Yeah. But I mean, I'm like, I'll eat some stuff sometimes and you know, people be with us and go, what's in that? And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you what that actually is. Just try it. Mm. Yeah. I think, uh, the times I've had, I've had hesitancy with food in the past was remember one time I went with my dad to a ranch and they were going to slaughter a pig to do chicharrones and they made the chicharrones, but they didn't, uh, they didn't scald the pig. Right. So the chicharrones came out with hairs on it. Oh, and so that's just not appetizing. That's to, not. You have a chip with hair on it and it's like, Oh, I don't want that. No, I've never had them that fresh before. I've had I've had people at work bring some in a couple days and I've had them after that never that fresh. Yeah, I worked with some guys years and years and years ago, probably twenty years ago, and it was the first time uh, I had ever had goat and pig buried burlap sack and all that kind of stuff. I've never had a buried one. It's amazing. Okay, tell me if this isn't true. You've been around goats, right? Yeah, and you smell the way goats smell. Doesn't the meat smell exactly like you're like, oh, it's it's just a goat. I think so. So when you eat goat cheese, don't you go like, ah, like, do you love goat cheese? Because my wife loves goat cheese. And I'm like, I've been around goats too much to love goat cheese. (sighs) Again, I'm a love hate. Got to be in the mood. (laughs) I know this is silly, but I mean, there's certain times I'm like, yeah, let's go. I I love it. It's amazing. And there's other times I'm like, it's just not appetizing. I think it just depends. On the setting and the mood. I'm in. That is true. I'm not saying that I don't eat it, but it's just every time I do, I'm like, go, go. Like that's on the forefront. It's oh, not, yeah. it's not, I'm not able to, I guess, enjoy the flavor. I'm just like goats. It's goats. 
I've done that with goose before. You ever had actual goose? I've been wanting to so bad. So speaking of that, I started duck hunting for the first time last nice. year. And um, I wanted to go goose hunting. However, I never saw any goose where we went. So I never was prepared for it. And I still never saw them. But I've been looking to try goose. It's very different. Um, it's still, I mean, it's a bird flavor. But it's just a little different. The meat's just, it's a little, it's a texture thing. It's a little different, but I didn't prepare it. But the person who did told me it was an awful experience. Really? It's just harder than duck. One thing I didn't know that I figured out about duck is that I thought the mallard was the best tasting one. Turns out the green wing teal are the number one on the list. Really? And the interesting thing to my luck my first time I brought something home, I got a shoveler, which sucks. Never had it. Anyways, they're on the bottom of the list because they eat like mud and mud duck. Gross shit. Anyways, uh, I had a shoveler and a blue wing teal, and I ate them, and they were gamey. And I was so disappointed because I didn't prepare them. I didn't marinate them in red wine. I wasn't about it. I just slapped them on the grill, put them in a taco, and I was like, this is gamey. This isn't the best. But after that, I had a mallard, which it was like steak. You could freaking just. Oh, yeah. Right. Good to go. And then I tasted the green wing teal. Green wing teal. I didn't taste any off flavor whatsoever. No gaminess. The mallard like had a tiny, tiny bit, but the green wing teal, nothing. That's interesting. Yeah. Were you at the Devil's River doing this? No. I was at Lake Louisville. Oh, okay. There was houses in the distance. I was freaking firing away. Oh, and also I have a paddle boat to do this with. Me and another 300-pound buddy would pick this paddle boat up, take it all the way to the water. It has a trolling motor in it. We just get out to a spot. That's how we do it. Never duck hunted from a paddle boat, but it sounds like it's a new experience. Hey, well, you got to do what you got to do. I'm, all, I'm not I'm not down on it. I'm just saying I think I got to try this. I mean, it's, it's convenient. Uh, the one time we went out there, I remember we got out on the water at, like, I don't know, 430. And uh, that paddle boat cost me $75. Or a paddle boat with the Minn Kota trolling motor in it. It's a five-seater. What? Yeah, it cost me 75 bucks. So we get out there, and we're doing our thing. We're two grown-ass men in a paddle boat at 4 a.m. This guy comes rolling up and is probably $25,000, $30,000 duck boat. He gets stuck in the mud for the whole morning. Because he went too shallow. He went too shallow, and we're just having a great time just in our rolling. paddle boat. We're, we shot the most shots in the valley. We're having the best time. And I'm uh, on $75? Come on. This sounds like an amazing deal. <laughs> the, the guy I bought it from, he goes, man, I didn't know there was such a shortage of paddle boats. I got like 22 offers in an hour. I'm like, no, nah, it's because you listed it for $75. $75. I was, like, I was yeah. like, you know, that's a great deal. He goes, yeah, but it's whatever. I'm like, okay. Damn. You know what the shitty part about it is, though? You got to get it registered. You got to get state tags because it has the little motor in it. Yeah, it's motorized. It's not like a, a kayak or a, anytime you motorize anything on the boat. It's so silly, though. I think it's so silly because I'm like, I'm going a mile an hour in this thing. Revenue, sir. Revenue, 100%. You feel like playing a song? Let's do it. We danced all around the story about your dad and Devil's River and everything. Ooh. I kind of want to hear it. We got to. Where's this thing? All right. This is my first time playing with a slide like this. It's a little different. It is a little different. Curveballs. <laughs> yeah. uh, for this song, we were talking about the influences in it. And I know a lot of people get the Bingham influence because of this thing. The 
Um, the, what people don't know, though, is have you ever listened to Furry Lewis? No. Uh, he has a song like, good morning, judge. What may be my fine? That's where I basically cop this thing. So if anyone out there is a Furry Lewis fan, there's that. But anyways, yeah, this one's Devil's River. Mama, I'm going to the river, going so far away. Hey,
Thank you, man. That's a good jam. Thanks. I had the slide glass falling off a little bit. It, <laughs> so it's, it's, had, different. Had, it's different. It's different. Yeah, it, it's a it's a weird little tune. I've had people be like, you should make songs like that more. And I'm like, well, I mean, if I had the inspiration to, I would, right? But at the same time, if I make another song that's like... It's like, oh, it's pretty similar, you know? I got gotcha. you. And I guess the same goes for all of those, like, old Delta Blue songs. Like, they're all that vibe, that kind of alternating bass and then whatever... I don't know. Stylistically, that's what it was. Yeah, exactly. Excuse me, I'm going to tune while we Yeah, talk absolutely. Here. So, I mean, I dig that, man, because that is, you're showing range in that. Like you said, Delta Blues style, and that's, you're a Americana rock guy. You're not a country guy. Yeah. I've been thinking about it more, because, like, I know people, like, putting it into like a, a genre not that you were trying to or nothing i get where you're coming from but i feel like it's just roots music because like i'm not trying to i'm not trying to fit anywhere i'm just saying stories of like how i grew up or whatever so i, I was like that's roots isn't it, it is but it's still americana because i'm american and it's still rock because of the instrumentation like it's all of those things I had this, this discussion um with a couple people but so i'm a prodigy of a, a different time the the Grew up in the 90s, went to high school in the 90s and college in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And and I could be completely off base, but we called it alternative music back then. Alternative country? Oh, we didn't even call it alternative country. Just, well, alternative. just alternative? I mean, you think about it. What Americana roots and everything right now yeah. is the same thing that I listen to on the radio with the Goo Goo Dolls. And it's the same. So true. It's the same music. We I think we just label it. Yeah. I think I think it is the labeling thing. And... um Eric, Eric Willis had the best answer. Okay. He said, when you go on iTunes, you can choose two genres for your music. And he goes, well, I guess I'm kind of country. Well, I guess I'm rock. Well, that was the only two options. And now that there's Americana as an option, he's like, well, I guess I'm, Mar- I'm Americana. Uh-huh. And I think Americana, you're right. Cause it's all encompassing. I think Americana is the giant umbrella. Yeah. And I think under Americana, you've got roots, folk. All yeah. The different- I can see that. But again, I could be completely way off base because I'm just a fan. I'm not a music expert by any means. I just listen to a shit ton of music. Who really is a music expert, though? Nobody. If you listen to music, you're a music expert. I'm an intermediate. Intermediate? (laughs) As I'm not a novice or a beginner, I'm an intermediate. Yeah. Uh, Because I listen to my musical taste... Ranges from Isbell to Bingham to Caitlin Smith to Holly Williams to Biz Marquee. Yeah. Rest in peace. I don't know yeah, if you he heard He just that. died, he right? He just died. That's so sad. I saw a buddy post on it on Twitter, and I was like, what's the deal with this? And then I, I saw other people, and I was like, oh, he passed away. I didn't know. That used to be my favorite commercial. Do you remember the Heineken Let a Stranger Drive You Home commercial? No. You need to Google this or YouTube it. Yeah. And it was a Heineken commercial and it, it was, you know, promoting responsible drinking. And it said, tonight, let a stranger drive you home. And it's a cab driver carrying a car, little drunk people singing, oh, baby, yeah. <laughs> freaking hilarious. I'll have to check it out. I mean, it's, it's the good stuff, man. I, I never got much into his uh, discography or his music beside the, oh, baby, you that's, that's all I did. Need. 
I think I know music. one other song, but yeah. I couldn't name it off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. There may be two songs in my playlist. Yeah. Couldn't tell you what the other it, one but, is. But I mean, the, you got what I need. That was a, it was a hit. That was a hit on all fronts. Uh-huh. And didn't he judge like some, one of those music shows, like one season or something? I have no idea. I, I, I didn't see anyone that I was on for some reason. What pops into my head is if it was like, um, you know, when they do, uh, like America's got talent, but like in Korea, it's like Korea's got talent. And yeah. then they'll put like C list celebrities to judge those. Like maybe something like that. Very possible. That may be what I'm thinking of. Yeah. But beside that, I haven't, I haven't thought of any of the big ones. It's funny speaking about those shows. I don't like go out of my way to watch them, but Chelsea does She'll like put on American idol and then I'll be just, you know, on my phone or something. And then I get invested in the show <laughs> and I'm like, I want him to win. Damn right you do. <laughs> you know why I watch those shows? Why? I'm like, hell, I've seen that person before. Every season, it seems like there's somebody I've seen, whether it's The Voice or American Idol, there's always somebody. I'm like, oh, I've seen them before. Nuh-uh. Dead serious. What? Like three years ago in American Idol, the one girl, Lacey K. Booth. Yes. Yeah, her dad's Jody Booth. He's a Texas country guy. No, I knew that. I knew that. And I'm like, I've seen her play with her dad. That's crazy. And then, you know, Andrew Sevener was on The Voice season 16 i i remember hearing about that i met andrew once at the stockyards and but beside that i i don't know or i don't know him that well as like a friend but i, I knew he was on the voice so was joey green i heard on the podcast that he was on that too awesome. i did i didn't see him on it though or i'm not an active watcher of the voice anyways. like you said you just vest whenever your wife gets exactly it. we found some interesting people uh so there was one season I can't remember his actual name, but his band name is Scary Pool Party. Scary Pool Party. You need to look him up. They're good? It's phenomenal. Scary. And what kind of mu- music is it? Um, Metal? No. Because Scary Pool Party reminds me of it should be a metal band in the same area as that uh, Flanders metal band. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like, that's what that reminds me of. We'll listen to it here in a little bit. Copyright infringement. We can't play it on the podcast. Boo. Boo, but we can cuss, so that's good. Shit. Shit. Well, shit. <laughs> okay. So first song is Devil's River. That's a standalone single. You have somebody that does investment or partially investment for you. It helps you out on a little bit. Then you go and you make the, you did a full length. You did an LP. Well, yeah. Yeah, we did at the Echo Lab in uh, Argyle. We were in there right after Shaky Graves. <sighs> How'd that feel? It was interesting because I got to see uh, like kind of what they were doing and they put a fuzz pedal on a drum kit, which is cool. <laughs> Probably just for Cause like whenever you do any recording, sometimes things come out really transparent and yes. too clean. So you need to dirty it up. So I imagine they just used it for a little bit of texture for the drum kit. We can't all be like, and I'm probably going to misquote it. Was it Zeppelin that put the drummer in a stairwell? Yeah. Zeppelin, right? Yeah, for the for the reverb. For, yeah, stuff. for the reverb. It put, was like for when the levee breaks, right? I think so. Yeah, because it wasn't the whole album. It was one song. They moved the kit mm-hmm. and put the input. Uh, John Bauman in, not Bauman, Bonham. <laughs> <laughs> Getting my B names mixed right. up here. Put him in a stairwell because mm-hmm. the the big highs and the reverb that comes off that stair. Yeah, they didn't have the technology for pedals and shit that we do now. They had real life. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Fuzz pedal on a drum kit. Okay. Dirty it up. Make yeah. it a little muddy. But, I mean, that was... Swampy. Exactly. That was my first time uh, experience, 
experiencing a studio, so to speak. There was a, I think a eight song, I guess, demo that I had released, but it's through this whole growing as a songwriter or as an artist, so to speak, I go, I guess realizing that, Hey, me doing it this way, I don't want to play it like that. Cause I've grown past that. So like, I'll just take that off. And it's just, so like with those eight songs that I'd put out then, I took them off because I was like, there's too much evolving happening that I can't stay there. I will disagree with you on this point, sir. And I'll two reasons why I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just telling you, I will disagree. This yeah. is the good thing about music is we can have a, <laughs> exactly. an intellectual conversation. Two reasons. Mm-hmm. Eric Willis's first EP mm-hmm. spring, uh, I believe it's called spring 2012. His number one, most stream song triple fold is off that EP. And he had the same reasoning. I wanted to take it down. I've my sounds evolved and different. I was yeah. like, but you're still getting streams. You're still getting listens. Uh-huh. Let you see that evolution. The second reason, and this is the one that gets me. You're a Randy Rogers fan. Uh, I, I like his music. Yeah. His very first album was called live at Cheatham street. Uh-huh. And it had two versions of very popular songs on there. And that was the first time I heard it. And I was like, Oh, this guy's got something like it was, you, you, you hear that. Oh, okay. You hear that, you know, that, yeah. that, that's that, that special something that we all know what it is, but you never can describe it. You uh-huh. can't bottle it. It's like trying to bottle lightning. Yeah. And you hear it on both tracks, lost and found and miss you with me. Okay. And you hear it. I've got the CD. I've got a burned CD in my truck. I can let you listen to it later. Uh-huh. And you hear like, you hear that. Like, like, Oh shit. Like that, that special grabs you. Yeah. And it's nowhere available on the next one. Uh, what do you mean? That, that album? Oh yeah, yeah. It doesn't exist because they took it down all that. Uh-huh. You're robbing people of hearing infancy of where something starts. That's my, my theory. I want to hear the infancy. Yeah. I want to hear that, that album that Ragweed talked about and Cody Canada talked about. We wanted to go record our first album until he's going to make us a $5,000 album for $500. And it sounds like a 500. I want to hear those moments. I like to hear the evolution. Yeah. I have um, downloaded on my phone a demo that Elton John did of my favorite Elton John song. And I can listen to that demo Mm. and hear the quirks in it and the differences because he was super young. Yeah. Uh, Same thing with like, I love getting the deluxe editions of albums. Yeah. That has the, that's why you need to leave it up. People like that stuff. That's a, or I music nerds do. I am with you and I'm with that take on it. I also like, if I, if I can have two takes, I have my own take as well from the sake of being an artist, like, with what you're saying, I'm with it. And it's so funny because if you have, let's say, song A and you record it like shit, record it live, record it whatever, and you put it out and people hear live take A, if you re-record live take A and put it as an actual professional thing, they're going to reject it and be like, I like the original. Truth. Because they just, like the way music that's is. That's how you know it. The first print, you're like, that's my thing. Yeah. So... Re-recording Devil's River, I'm already aware of that. So I'm doing it for me rather okay. than for people. But as far as not putting the original or like the those first kind of cuts out, uh, it's not also from the growth of like the musicianship, but the growth of like my person. Okay, and get it. A lot of the things that I wrote in the early stuff were like 
it makes me feel uncomfortable and irresponsible for someone to repeat the words that I wrote down from the standpoint of like, it, like it just came from like a dark place and, and, and not that it's not helpful for people to hear things that come from a dark place, but the literal words, like I believe that the things that we speak are really important. And I would rather have those as like memoirs that my family can see how far that we've come rather than people listening to them. If that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Social responsibility. Kind of. Or like more like uh, uh, not to be the guy that goes here, but more like spiritual responsibility than like, I don't want you repeating the bullshit that I put down. Like, uh, let me write something about heartache and like lonesomeness that, that if you would speak it with your mouth, it would be okay for you and not uh negative. I'm with you now, but, but I don't want people like, uh, you listen to Benjamin Todd at all. Uh-huh. So, um, he made a really good point that I had, uh, realized in my life, but I guess never really had a way to say it is like, whenever I started writing songs, I was like, Oh, you know, what's good. What towns always talks about like hopelessness. Like, that's great. Like, like writing about hopelessness, it's really emotional. And like people really relate. And I always had that standpoint that writing about hopelessness was special. Like it was like, Oh, not, like, do you, do you know what I mean with, with that? You. But what I realized was that actual hopelessness, there's no out. There's no. It's cyclical. You're there. There's no, there's no, this is good. And, and like when people say hopelessness is good in songs, it's only good because you're writing about it now. And that means that you got out of this, right? You're not trapped. Exactly. And that's where I felt responsible to not write songs that like that they, they, if I write a song that comes from the perspective of that, I'm like, Hey, yeah, that's good. Like it, it can help someone along the way for sure. But the, some of the songs that I wrote in the past were in my uh, opinion, too ugly and like, didn't want to fair take. Yeah. I'm just disagreeing because I like to hear the original cuts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm a deep cut guy. Yeah. But, but like, I don't know. It's, it's tough. There, there's songs that I've written that are so, uh, like gross that no one beside Chelsea has ever heard them. Not every song you pin is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the same conversation that we've been brought up. You know, Bauman said it. there's been hundreds of musicians who said it, you get around one to 200 good, uh, bad ones before a good one comes your way. Yeah. That's, that's certain. When I met gross, I wasn't talking about the sake of the song, right? I think the song is amazing. The content is gross. I'm with you. Like, it's like, I don't know, having to overcome things of, uh, like say, uh, like things of like writing about lust, overcoming lust. Right. And like the song goes in depth of like for me and my family, I don't know how it was for you, but I feel like for a lot of men growing up, literally I'm in the car, have my mom and I have my dad. Right. My mom's like, Hey, don't you ever like, uh, don't you ever uh, cheat on your wife? Don't ever have more than one woman. This, this, and that. My dad looks at her, looks at me. It's like, fuck all of them. And like, it's like, okay. So like conflict. Yeah. Having to deal with that and trying to figure out how to grow up slash treat women slash deal with things with lust. Like it got heavy for me for sure. So with, uh, 
like some of those songs that I wrote, I'm like, fuck, no one's going to benefit from this because it's just my self-expression of my own story slash shitty, you know? Like, it, it's like the lyrics were so just like, oh, man, like 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 what I said, like dad saying fuck everything. And, like, I, I have a line in that one song I'm talking about. It's like, <coughs> when I turned 18, you said to me, fuck every girl it is that you see, you know? And I'm like, I don't want people repeating that and, like, that's just coming from my experience of like when I saw my dad say that, well, like it affected me in that way, you know, and not that I did that, but like, it's just in overcoming. I'm like, people don't need to listen to that. Cause why? So it was a benefit to you to get it out as a form of expression. Yeah. But you don't think a mass consumption of that it's worthy. I don't think that it's worthy because what's more worthy is Words are one thing. Like somebody can listen to words and goes, "Oh, well, those words mean something to me." But like an emotional idea or a, a thought that can grab hold. Exactly. But but like with songs, you know that special thing that you're talking about. I think that if you work it correctly, you can have that special thing mean what the words mean without the words. If that makes sense. Yes. The unspoken. Exactly. And dance. So. Where I'm getting at is like, instead of writing that line, how I told you that I wrote it, I could probably write it in a way that would mean the same thing, but it's better. But, yeah. but that song in itself was like, this is just raw, like, blech, you know? I mean, not everybody can say, move, bitch, get out the way. If you see me on the highway, stay out of my way. <laughs> right, right. Sorry, I just trying to, just trying to lighten the mood just a little bit. I know exactly what you're saying. And that's, that shows personal growth. Yeah. That shows intellect into your personal insight for sure it's uh introspectiveness that's what yeah, i was trying to say definitely and i don't know it's just for me I, I i you know how they say you write the songs and hope somebody likes them or something that's that's what i'm that's all i'm doing i'm just writing songs that i enjoy and that i think that are responsible to be shared and if i think that they do i share them and if not i don't care if it didn't get out like it, it yeah. more, more than anything, all the songs are for my family rather than for people to rage to them or whatever. Well, William Clark Green said that Jack Ingram said it's on an album. <laughs> yeah. I write songs for me mm -hmm. and then I write songs for us. Yeah. Some songs are for me. Some songs are. That, that's the perfect way of putting that. And it, it, it couldn't be more sincere and, I encourage anybody and everybody, if they're not musicians and they want to be, do it. If whatever form they have to write, to write, because it's really meaningful. Like, uh, especially um, one of the things that, that I think is most heartfelt is like, let's say you have uh, your wife or your kid or whatever, and you just write down on a piece of paper, oh, today um, I picked you up from school, Um today this happened this isn't that just like talk about your day journal exactly it they they mean so much because it comes it comes from a, a sensitive place and i don't know it, it's really heartfelt to write down your thoughts and a lot of people can't get over the that first like i don't want somebody to know what i thought or when you make a song it's like i don't want to like the first time i wrote a song and showed it to chelsea i would tell her hey like i need you to stand on that side of the room and not look at me like this is so hard for me to play you know and like if everyone can just get over that and be able to like share who they are 
on paper or just in general would be better. I'm a big fan of writing. I'm a big fan of free writing. I'm a big fan of all forms of writing. I yeah. think I agree with you in the sense, I think everybody needs a creative outlet. And I think writing is the one thing that everybody can do. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a shitty writer. Oh, I'm that. And I dog on myself too. But the truth of the matter is you're a better person when you do that. Cause you can let go of things mm-hmm. or you can explore ideas that are there that you didn't know you had, or you can complete thoughts. Uh-huh. I'm a very big fan of, I'm going to grab a pen and paper manually write, and I'm just going to start writing and I'm not going to force myself to write. I'm going to, whatever comes out. Mm -hmm. And I think people would be amazed at what happens. I think that you are a hundred percent, right? You are a hundred percent amazed. And the weirdest part is let's say putting this into context of a song, you write a song and you go, I write this. And this is what the song means. Five years later, you look at that song. You're like, that's not what that song meant at all. No, it changes. Yeah. And you didn't realize it. Yeah, at all. And and it's it helps to know who you were, who you are, where you're going, like where you came from. Like in all aspects, it's been a very introspective help for me at least. So, you know, I've wrote co wrote a, a few songs. Mm-hmm. Uh one of the lines out of one of the songs that I co wrote was a very simple, very simple rhyme screen rhyme scheme. And the thought is conveyed totally different from when we wrote it. Street lights to the old pine trees. I wish you'd never given up on me. Mm-hmm. It's not about another person. It's about me not giving up mm-hmm. on myself. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. One of, one of the songs um, for me that has been one of those evolving, like really deep, like honestly, if I don't listen to the song for, I don't know, a couple months. And then I listen to it. Like I'll cry. And, uh, it's a song sing on that forever album. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I have the words to be able to express like dynamically how much it's changed. It started as a song that was, um, like about Chelsea. Okay. And then it ended up, about a song that was so in depth to my, uh, I guess you can say my journey and my character as a young man to a adult that it just still impacts me to this day, but I never wrote it with that intention. But later on in life, I saw the intention of the song. If that makes sense. It revealed itself to you and it was ready to reveal itself to you. Exactly. Almost like the Bible. <laughs> it's weird how that kind of stuff works. Yeah. Our, our minds are a beautiful thing that we don't understand no matter how much we think we understand it mm-hmm. or Sean McConnell songs for, for you when, when you write something like, do you write, I know you've written songs. What do you write more often? Do you free write more or do you write poems more or write poetry? poetry? So like, let, do you have like your favorite poem that you've ever written? Yes. Did you write it really though? So there's a thought and an, an idea that I've heard thrown around that, especially with songs, songs, songs exist. Yeah. They're, they're all out there. They exist in the ethos or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we reach up and a song chooses us. Yeah. I'm on the fence about that idea because there's times that I write and it just stuff just comes out and it just goes, Yeah, I'm not intentionally trying to rhyme. I'm not trying to do that. It just, Yes. And there's other times that I've sit down and I force myself to write and I go, that's a pile of steaming shit. Crumple, crumple. 
exactly corner. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I wrote it or subconsciously it was already there. Yeah. That's uh, I, I'm not with the idea that like the songs exist and that you pick, they pick and choose who they come to. I'm not with that. I do think that like they manifest through us, like the poems and stuff for sure. But I have noticed kind of with what you're saying. If you, if you sit down Force yourself is one thing, but like I've sat down and been like, oh, this goes good and this goes good. But there wasn't like a thing on my insides that was like doing it. My, just my head almost was like, oh, this is good. This is good. And I make it. And it doesn't have that special stuff. Whereas there's other songs where I don't have it in my head. It and, just comes. And it just, I write it and then I play it. And when I play it, it's like, oh, that, there it is. That's something. There's the punch. Yeah. And th- that I think is something everyone should try to experience and be like, where is that? And why is that? I guess comes from somewhere deep down. It's a muscle that has to be exercised. That is true. But okay, let's go farther. Let's say Mescalito, Ryan Bingham's album, right? Okay. Probably the rest of my life. I could listen to every song on that album and be like, this is like, I don't need more music. Like that's if you're trapped on a, if you're trapped on a deserted Island and you can take one album to listen to for the rest of your life, what's it going to be? Mescalito for sure. But what I'm saying is that not to diss on Ryan Bingham or nothing, but I I think I heard this get put in a one way, you know, that kind of first artist takes on songs that you were talking about that's Mm -hmm. special. It's special because they haven't had a firm execution of how they do songs now right so once they get that firm execution in my opinion that's not the epitome of greatness because it it could do good but that's that solid stuff that's mescalito and in my opinion everything after that if you're not trying to exercise new ways of making songs or listening to new stuff you end up either making the same stuff or i guess what i'm getting at is in 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 much of his later stuff I felt that it ended up turning into only music rather than still heart related. I don't know. There's some stuff on Junkie Star that's pretty. Oh, okay. Junkie Star, absolutely amazing album. Mescalito, absolutely amazing. Where I started getting lost was like Tomorrowland. Wolves. Wolves, which is on, um, what's that album called? He's, he's with that like Cadillac with the horse trailer. Yeah. Um, don't give me line. And, and fear and Saturday night, fear and Saturday night even has some okay stuff, but I, I started getting a little lost, but I do appreciate him not trying to stay the same. Like, no, no, he was evolving. Exactly. He tried to do other stuff, tried to get some like gang vocals, trying to do whatever. And it's great. And it's artistic and it's musical and it's perfection. But my heart stayed where I guess, in my opinion, where he started really, yeah, having yeah, yeah. the 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 formula for getting to those songs and it was probably that that more raw feel on that mm-hmm. kind of stuff why'd you change the name <laughs> so it's a good story and i think that hopefully it'll stay in my family for a long time but uh my mom's name is rosa and my dad's name is mondo armando and when I was young, they had two horses, one named Rayo, which is lightning, and one named Rosmond, which is my mom and my dad's name combined. Yeah. So 
I was Mondo Salas for the longest time. Not that I'm not anymore. That's still my legal name. But um, I, I think this can go several, several different avenues as far as the conversation. One is that being Mexican and playing country music is like for lesser words, like a hard pill to swallow, I think, for the public. I've gone to places and they're like, oh, you're Mondo Salas. And I'm like, yeah, they're like, you're playing Tejano tonight, right? I'm like, no. So like stuff like stereotyping, stereotyping, but it's stereotyping is fine. Like you expect a guy named Arrano Salas to play Tejano music, you know, but okay. Okay. Yeah. It's unconscious bias. Exactly. And I don't know if other uh, Mexicans or like Asians or people of different races trying to play roots music have felt this. And I'm not saying anybody has put it on me, but it, I have felt more or less like it just a little weirder for me. Okay. That had nothing to do with the name change. That's just kind of a conversation Sidebar. of its own, whatever. But anyways, so I was Mondo Salas for so long. And then I just got, I, I, I just like almost like a separation between my actual name to the music, like almost let the music just be its own thing. I've always had like, I like that. And I like my personal space, I guess. And then just recently, um, I just had inspiration. I was like, you know what? I should change to like a band name because I would like that. And I, I really, one of my favorite bands of all time is Lucero. And like. Great underrated band. They are like, if, if I had a list is like Bingham Lucero are tied for, no, it's Bingham Lucero and John Moreland tied for one for me. That's heavy hitters right there. They're my favorite. But anyways, I, I like the way that sounds like Lucero or it's just, it's just easy. A one thing is done. You know what I mean? And I, I think that um, the so-and-so and the so-and-sos is, I, I tried that for a little bit and I never really enjoyed having such a long name. Okay. I, so what was the, what was the, and came after the end uh at the first inception and the damn band and then the second inception and the ride and never i was like Oof. okay let's chase this rabbit hole real quick okay 1990s one of my favorite bands mcbride and the ride yes amazing band but then you also had in the early 2000s a lot of your uh texas music band joey green and defining briscoe what is that? We'll find him and ask him. <laughs> Zach Walther and the Cronkites. That's not bad, though. You know, that's kind of cool. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. Charlie Shafter and the Gnomes. See, that's but but then it starts getting to the I don't know the Armando Salas and the lolly gaggers of Avenue lane, you know? And it's like, that's not bad. I kind of dig on that. (laughs) Armando Salas and the Ballyhoo boys. I would have loved to do Mondo Salas and the mariachis, but again, then you just completely stereotyped yourself. Exactly. And if you don't walk in and you're not all dressed the same and there's not somebody with the trumpet, I'm going to be disappointed. That's what I'm saying though. So like I, it sucks that I couldn't lean into my culture more because of my first name. Whereas if I were white, I could lean into the culture. Does that make sense? 
again, it's unconscious bias and stereotyping. I mean, we may not intend to do that. Yeah. You know, you're wanting to reference the culture that you grew up in that, like you said, you didn't like what was national country. You know, you grew up around that, whatever. Tejano music doesn't describe it because there's so many different veins. 100%. Yeah. Um, just like we even said with the cumbia and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. It's all, it's all different. The un, the un, I'm not going to say uneducated, the unaware person's going to say, oh, it's all just Tejano. It's different. Mm-hmm. It's just like when we say Americana and Roots when we got all this. It's all different. But I was sitting here and I was trying to think. Successful Latino or non-white Hispanic. How do, oh, is that how it's determined now on paper? It's always so weird. I don't even know. I, I hate it because I don't. I always feel like I need to be PC, but I don't know what actually is PC. If if I'm ever around someone that needs to be PC, I just I'm like, for what? For what reason? I don't like. If I'm hurting your feelings, I I don't mean to hurt your feelings, you know. Or I, yeah. I don't get it. I just say because I don't never know. Anyway, let's yeah. move past it. Let's get past it. But so I was sitting there trying to think of a Latino descent or that was a big impact in country music. And there's very few that I can think of Rick Trevino. Okay. Freddie Fender, (sighs) Freddie Fender. I almost said Emmanuel, but he was more of a Latino artist who just had a crossover hit or two. Okay. Um, but Freddie Fender and, Rick Trevino, that's all that's really coming to mind. I mean, Freddie Fender obviously was huge. Yeah. Massive. But still, his style is very, uh, not commercial, so to speak, but like, it in in his mix, his mix was like Tex-Mex mix. It wasn't, it's not my kind of mix where like, that's where I come from, but I'm just trying to write normal music. I Like, I'm not. About where you grew up exactly exactly but i like with devil's river i'm not like mama y papa me dijo que la, you know yeah, like yeah, yeah. I, I'm not, I don't throw spanish in there or nothing just for the sake that that's not my preference not that that that's super cool but freddie fender leaned into like oh yeah before the next teardrop falls first verses in english second verses in spanish exactly which it's cool it's a thing it's if i i each language you go writing in It'd be like starting as a baby again. So I haven't ventured into Spanish writing because I don't think I'd do it justice. But anyways. Such a beautiful language and hard to write in, Mm -hmm. from my opinion. I couldn't agree more. I I listen to some Spanish songs, and it's beautiful. And I don't have the vocabulary to be able to wordsmith it. Agreed. I was trying to, I was going to expound on that a little bit more, but I can't. Anyways, back to your original thing of why the name change. Yes. I thought of all the options and I was like, should we do a Mondasalis and the whatever? And I just, for some reason, I felt drawn to dissociate my name from the act. And uh, I was like, you know what? We'll just do Rosman because it's my mom and my dad's name. Remind me, we're going to go into what the album's theme is. But that that means a lot to me for the sake of just... Uh, the, the roots aspect of, of yeah, you're tying it back. Exactly. And, um, fast forwarding where my daughter's name is Elia Rose. Oh, so like probably Rose will be in the family for a long time coming. Started I dig it. The third generation. <laughs> okay. But anyway, so it, it's just a good, meaningful name. 
I don't think anyone's ever heard it. And whether it's original. they mispronounce it or whatever, that's fine. But I, I liked it. I got one more band I got to say the name of because I like saying it. Nathaniel Ratliff and the Night Sweats. Dude, talk about the the heat in the kitchen right there. That's where it's at. Dude, he's so good. Ridiculous. He's so good. It's not even funny. Was it the was that a documentary Austin to Boston? Was it about him? I watched that before I knew about him, and I have to go rewatch it. That's you what, need that's to one with the staves that. and stuff, right? Yes, I have to rewatch it because I didn't know that was him in it. When I discovered his music, I don't think there's a song of his that I don't get on with. Like really, his like from the way that the I know he likes choosing those like jazz master P ninety pickups or whatever that yeah, yeah. kind of style over there, and the way he throws like the horns and just. It's an old-timey, modern style. Whatever it is, it's great. I love it. It's throwback. Mm-hmm. Throwback. I got a lot of pop out of that. Sorry. <laughs> I got two pop filters on this mic, and I still get pops. Dang, S's. you got I'm them just, P's. Them P's and the S's. So with the new album you're talking about, yeah. you, you, I'm not going to say you rebranded, but you kind of did. Yeah. Kinda. You kind of rebranded, and then you go to it, and then I know you've got a couple different things. You've got a few songs that have come and gone, but Old Dogs, is that going to be on the new album? That will be, yeah. Let's get some punch. You want to hear it? I want to hear it. All right. This is this is a funnin'. <laughs> I said funnin'. So. That's old, uniquely Texas. Old Dogs, I always tell people just to be real with them and stuff. Uh, when I played this song for the first time, I also cried. Um. For me, I have three dogs. You have a dog, right? For some reason, what was really impacting me here was uh, dogs dying sucks. It does, and um, that was a that was a big little motivation here for this song. But beside that, obviously, it has to do with just this is actually a, a little insight. This is the song I played to Chelsea at our wedding. Really? Yeah. Okay. But anyways, let me. Let no, me no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued, and I'm hoping our listeners will enjoy this too because this is a beautiful song. The water in the rivers were dry. Take me. Surely made it into heaven Would you sing me a lullaby Built to run on the road I come from a kind There's never been nobody And we keep trying to live But all we find Is hard times And old dogs Love for me, 
but sometimes I've been bearing the miles without giving in. For you, I'll go until my end. That's fantastic. I don't care. That's fantastic. Is writing a passion or an obsession for you? Uh, neither. Okay. Explain. Um, I like the way that John Prine put it. He said, uh, writing songs is a chore and it's tough, you know? So why would I write a song if I didn't feel like writing a song? So I never, I never, uh, sit down and like, am worried about or what I got to write next or what's coming. It's just, if I sit down, pick up the guitar and feel something, I'll take a stab at it. If it, if it ain't going to work out, it ain't going to work out. And if it does, it does. And that's it. Interesting. What about you? Songs are not a passion or an obsession with me. Mm -hmm. Getting thoughts out of my head Mm -hmm. in the written format is an obsession. All right. Because if I don't, my mind gets cluttered. Mm-hmm. I can't think straight, and I lose creativity, and just, I'm not happy. That makes sense. Um, not to go down the deep route, but uh, like a lot of the my writing energy, um, as cliche as it sounds, goes to like trying to hang out with God as much as I can. Um. The weird thing is that this whole writing stuff that we're talking about, I think that uh, if the unseen didn't exist, it wouldn't really mean that much to us anyways. True. So that's what we're, if I, if I feel like I should write something, I'll write something. But if not, I'm just trying to really keep my heart clear. You know, like, like when you write, it clears up the heart. I'm trying to just stay in a good place. Yeah. It's, it's it's cleansing. It's not just hard. It's soul cleansing too. Hundred percent. Um, but yeah, I think for me mentally, uh, I'm a. I like to stay mentally sharp. Yeah. As, as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm the memory's slipping a little bit. I'm in my 40s now, so I'm not as sharp as I was in my 30s. But at the same time, I know it clutters up with thoughts, mm-hmm. and I know that if I don't journaling, 
I'm in the middle of trying, attempting to write five, I say novels, some short stories, some things. Yeah. If I don't get those ideas out, one, they're gone. Mm-hmm. I've, I have learned too many times that if you're going to bed and you have a thought and you're like, I'll just write that down in the morning. It's gone. hundred percent. That, that thought, that train of thought, that ability to convey that same message. You could almost remember 99% of the words, but it doesn't matter because it's not the same. hundred percent. And I also feel like when I don't get those things out and I don't write those things down, that then they just almost like clog a drain up. Yeah. And then it just becomes, it's just mud that I got to, I got to work through the next time to get it out. I think that that's a beautiful thing. I think that you have a gift for that, you know, um, uh, for me, if, if I ever get that way for me, it, it comes in like a, a seasonal thing rather than, um, my whole, like, like every day being like, I need to write, but I think that that's a great thing. Like that's phenomenal. You know? Yeah. I appreciate that. It, it, it's, it's, it's a blessing and a curse. How so? Cause sometimes it feels like a chore mm. and I don't ever want it to feel like a chore. Yeah. I mean, I get exactly what you're talking about in the, in the sense of writing songs. It is a chore because you have to work at it. it it's, it's nothing that, but when I write or I do these kind of things, or I've got a co-write around the fire that we're doing, mm-hmm. I want to walk away from it. One feeling emotionally satisfied that not even just contributing to a group, but contributing outward. That's huge to leave emotionally satisfied because it's so hard to leave emotionally satisfied in something like writing that it's so many valves to go into it and to get it to where a point where you go, that's it. That's so hard. Am I ever a hundred percent happy with everything? No, but I think at the moment you become a hundred percent happy, you can't, you become stagnant with yourself. I I think there's growth always has to be involved in it, but emptying the well. Mm-hmm. I think the, the well has to be emptied sometimes. And there are sometimes that when you can feel emotionally satisfied, maybe it's laughter, maybe it's crying, maybe it's just smiling. Yeah. And I think if you can't have those moments, I mean, there's been moments where we've sat down to do co-rides and I'm like, I've nothing. That's what scares me. It's painful more than anything because you know, we've talked about co-writing before. Yes. I have never. So like all the songs I've ever written, like, I don't know if it's a pride thing or what, like they're just me. That's it. Right. I've always had almost a fear of co-writing because those songs that I wrote, it was probably at 11 and uh, I don't know. I just finished watching TV and I went to a room to have quiet time. And then uh, that there's the song. Right? It comes out, yeah. I, I didn't expect it. So with co-writing and coming together with buddies and being like, we're going to write a song. I'm like, for me, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to make a song. Cause like a song is going to be made, but there's a there's a different level for me. I don't have the maturity yet to almost mix with other people in a way that's going to get to the heart level that I prefer the song to be. You'd be surprised. Really? There's a misconception. And again, I don't think any groups or friends or guilds write the same. None of them do. Yeah. Everyone's got their different methods. Everyone's got their different quirks because people are different. And they contribute in different ways. Yeah. But I think you'd be surprised. And not everybody can gel. Uh-huh. there's been people who've come over and done co-writes with us and it's been, there's a, there's a consistent group that, that we do it on the rig. We haven't done it because of COVID for a while, but yeah. um, there's times that it gels and there's times that, Hey, you brought an idea. Okay. We're going, well, maybe, maybe it's just a line or two. We added that. Oh, here's what the idea I brought. And there's sometimes that we're just sitting there and, um, it's my lot. My wife likes to say that by the time of the night, whenever we're killing somebody, it involves <laughs> whores or 
mescaline or something like yeah. that, it's time to stop <laughs> uh, because we, we, that means we've gone too far. But there's times that you'll just have that phrase uttered. Mm-hmm. And it clicks. And it clicks. And it's just because maybe we're describing a situation or we're telling a story because, oh, I've got this thing I'm picking out. And then we, we just free spit out words. Oh, I'm just free rhyming. And then you just make some smart ass remark. And then everyone's like, oh, hold on. Yeah. Say that again. Okay. And then it's a comfort thing. That. You it's did, hard. What you just described absolutely frightens me because that, uh, you know, spoken word thing you're saying where you're trying to come up with a phrase. I can't imagine doing that in front of anybody beside even Chelsea. I have a difficult time being like, okay, I'm going to G I'll go into the, and I have, I'd have such a hard time getting over my, I guess, uh, my vulnerability in trying to be dumb to make something work. You know what I mean? It's hard. Yeah. You, you're you very vulnerable at that moment. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, man, was that too stupid? Someone's like, you rhymed tree with free? Really? Or you know what I mean? Like, it's like, come on. That's why you have to have the right group. Yeah. The group that we have, we're very much judgment-free. Because if you say something stupid, it's it's free game. Tell the person, no, that doesn't work. That's stupid. Yeah. But you also have to be going with the the idea that you're not married to any of the lines. But or the thoughts. That That's the thing, though. That It's hard Exactly. But the, the, in reality, there's nothing that's too far fetched, you know, like stupid is like per this song that we're not going that direction. But that doesn't mean that what what that was isn't applicable over here. No, that's the thing. That's the hard part. You it's know, tough. yeah, you get a thick skin. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely have to have a thick skin. And in, in our group, you have to be almost fifth grade ish. <laughs> we come up with some dumb stuff. Uh those are those are really fun though. I've only written a few songs that made me laugh. Like I was genuinely laughing. There was a a moment in time Chelsea and I lived at this house where um we had lived the whole year and never realized we had gas in the house cuz like the stove, everything, nothing was gas except the heater. So once it got cold, we had a few months left on our lease, so we didn't want to get a year contract for gas. So we had a fireplace. We decided to just uh, yeah, yeah, burn the fireplace. Yeah, burn the fire. And I remember writing a song about it being cold and about turning on the heater. And I, I don't remember it because I haven't rehearsed that song in so long. But genuinely, while playing it, I just started hysterically laughing. And those are really good moments to have songs that like they don't all have to be sad. That there's some cheery, some whatever. You know, it's just it's just a special little thing. And that song. Is gone into the nether. It'll never come back. I never recorded it. Don't know where it is. But you need anyways. to demo that stuff sometimes, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> I'll tell you why. A uh, good friend of mine in Austin, who's a songwriter, I've been doing it many years. He's also has. Uh, uh, I'm going to say the term everybody hates: big boy job in okay. the medical field. So he does a lot of work. We don't get to see each other that often. Yeah. We did a lot of writing, Zoom, all this kind of stuff. Huh. Um, we decided we were going to write this heartfelt song about a girl graduating high school and going out and spreading her wings and going out into the world and experiencing life. And I mean, we were, I mean, we were there. I yeah. mean, we were, I mean, good co-rat. We're like two and a half hours in this co-rat. Yeah. And one of the two of us, I don't remember who it was said, what if she got hooked on meth? <laughs> Broken window serenade or what? Worse. <laughs> okay. So she gets hooked on meth. Well then what does she do? She becomes a lot lizard at truck stop. Oh, and then it came out. 
Candace, the truck stop queen, she loves men and methamphetamine. Dang, what a line, huh? And we have it demoed. Yeah. And it is the most train wreckish thing you have ever heard. That's so funny. Because we did it kind of Mike and the Moon Pie steak night at the prayer room. Okay. Candace, the truck stop queen. Yeah. Oh, yeah train wreck i'll have to hear you have the shows to me but i love going back and listening to this because i'm just like that's pretty good yeah and it's tongue-in-cheek the whole song is tongue-in-cheek uh-huh. um and i was like man that turned out pretty good and it's just telling you about the dangers of getting hooked on meth and <laughs> being a hooker being a hooker at a truck stop that's what's up <sighs> i'll never sing it <laughs> i can't sing to begin with Hey, I think people argue I can't sing to begin with either. You got a good voice, sir. You have a unique voice. You have a very good talent and your ability to convey the message and know that your personal growth is out there. Nice. I I, I lured you in with that one. I fished you in, huh? Segways. (laughs) That's what I'm good at. There you go. So with this whole show. Yeah. I did it. Being years in the radio business, we would do live shows and we would do other things and it was always Hey, what do you guys do when you go to commercial break? What do you talk about? What do you talk about when you're backstage? When I see you over in the corner and I'm like, nothing. Yeah. We talk about nothing. We or, talk about tacos. Or just like, dude, it's so hot right now or whatever. There's no, there's no secret matrix of decoder things. We just talk about life. Mm-hmm. And so I came up with the title for the show, Off Mic, Off the Record. The second half of this is Off the Record. I grew up in an era listening to alternative music where finding the new songs in the nineties. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have yeah. all this kind of stuff. So you get to hear, Oh man, what is that? Is that a bootleg Pearl jam song? Let me hear that. Uh-huh. And so we get to hear the unique songs. We'd hear the special songs. And then when I got to college, I got to go start really seeing live music. Uh-huh. And uh, I know we had tons of topics. This will be for a second time. <laughs> second interview to come soon. Um, but I was always intrigued by artists to be like, Hey, you know, I've, this song's really special to me. I've never recorded it. Or maybe they don't even play it live. Or maybe you're in the back room with somebody and they're telling you about that song that's in the back of the notebook. It's the lyrics are in the guitar case. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the guitar, you're always there. And it's always that one song that's very important to the songwriter. That's not a release song. And it's not something that you're going to find everywhere. And I was blessed in the last several years of doing with TXRDR, getting to hear a lot of those songs. And that's been kind of where it is. And so when I go to end a program, I always ask the artist, the guest, what is that song to you that you could play for me? That's, that's something that's really personal to you that maybe at the full intention of releasing, maybe you, this is something that's coming, but it's just not there yet. Yeah, I got it. Uh, I do have the intention of releasing it. Um, it is unreleased though. As of now, it's a song called the well. It's a, it's one of those like one, two, three, one, two, three songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Again, I'm hitting you with the heavy hitters. I also was very emotional when playing this one for the first time. <laughs> nice. Uh, let me see. I think I'm just going to play it. I, I don't have a really good way of describing the songs. You know what I mean? Let's let it breathe and talk for itself. Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to make sure that I'm good because last time I started and then I regretted it. We're good. This, friends, is the important part. We tune because we care. Uh huh. And 
and it's funny. So we talked about this when you got here. Got the guitar out tuned before we checked. And you're like, yeah, we want to make sure that the guitar feels the room. And that's absolutely the truth. Mm-hmm. Instruments have to feel the room. Humidity plays a part in it. Temperature, yes, breeze, all that matters. Because you can tune a guitar 50 times. And if it ain't ready or those strings aren't, it ain't going to Train wreck. It's going to go. <laughs> that's why, friends, you don't take your expensive guitar to play around a fire pit. You got to take the cheap one. Cheapo. Especially if it's real cold or ah. real hot. Yeah. If it's real cold and you got you got some rusty strings or you mm-hmm. got some strings that haven't been changed, you're going to... Anyway. Anyways. So this is Preaching called, to the choir. This is called The Well. You're
That is a fantastic song, sir, and I am looking forward to that. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That is brilliant. It's a pleasure. Ro- Thanks for having us out. Yeah, man. Rosmanmusic.com. Rosmanmusic.com on Facebook, on Twitter. Rosman Techs. Rosman Techs. And the music that's currently out would be Mondo Solace yeah. on the Spotify's or the Apples. Correct. But I'm gonna I'm gonna re uh, release it and under Rosman and then so that way it'll just be at one place. No, no confusion. No confusion. Not like trying to look up a Jason Isbell song where it's Jason Isbell. Jason Isbell and the four hundred unit oh drive by truckers. Gosh. I I love Jason Isbell, I love all forms of it, but I can't keep up with what else. You gotta go. Like. Yeah, no. It's gonna be one place, it's gonna be easy peasy. And uh, the the album I haven't told anybody is gonna be called Threnody. Is that again? Threnody. Okay. It uh it means a song of lament, and uh, I think it was really good for what the theme of the song is about. Being uh, of my dad passing away and stuff that affected me a lot, and I think all the songs are related to that. As I know, it's like a one subject thing, but that's how it is. It's a big subject. Yeah, it's an important subject. Mm-hmm. It's a broad one. But yeah, that's it. I mean, Threnody, is, uh, we should be uh, wrapping up here, hopefully within the next uh, like six, seven weeks. But we'll see how it goes. You never know. Early fall <laughs> release? <laughs> Looks like it. Okay, man. Seriously, thank you for coming in. And I think we're going to go ahead and. Off Mike, Off the Record is a Blacktop Poetry production. For more insight into your favorite independent artists and all things behind the scenes and in between, visit blacktoppoetry.com. Our theme is provided by Austin Oak Church. Go check them out at austinupchurch.com. I'm your host, Aaron Bentley. And if you made it this far, you're either really bored or you fell asleep. Either way, thank you for your support, and I'll catch you next time. Adios. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay.